Okay. How are you doing, Dr. Lee Merritt? Hey, good. How are you? Every nice to day, meet you. Same here. Every day is a good day, is my saying. <laughs> are you in Sedona? Where are you with that? Or is that just your background? No, that's the background. This broadcast is the River in a Desert Ministry, and I thought I'd put the Grand Canyon um, in the background. <laughs> but where is your actual ministry? Where do you? Where are you? I, I'm on. Um, actually, I'm online. Most of the ministry I do is online. I'm located north of Houston, oh, in, okay. Con in Conroe, Texas. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm, in fact, I'm getting on a plane tomorrow to come down to Dallas. I'm going. Oh, okay. I'm speaking at Threadfest. Yeah, I've been looking forward to Threadfest for a long time. I think that's going to be great. Oh, good. What is, now? What is Threadfest? Oh, it's um, uh, uh, <laughs> why am I blanking on it? Um, my friend who is a um, Patrick Gunnels. He is a podcaster and he has a podcast called Reading Epic Threads. And okay. I mean, that's how he makes his living. So anyway, but he like he he uh, he I met him through Truth Social when that first got going. I he contacted uh -huh. me and he said, hey, we'd love to have you come speak at Threadfest. And I kind of well, then we've gotten to be friends and I've, we've been you know on each other's shows and stuff. So but he reads. Like I, I sent him my my Substack article on the pandemic of 1918, the, the pseudo pandemic of 1918. And he read that on his reading epic threads. He reads this and I got he's got a super series on Prussiagate. It's all about the history oh. of how the Prussians interfered, have been have been. They're not. I mean, the Prussian. Did you know, for example, there was a Prussian prince that are they're they're they tried to take over our country when it was first new, and they the the Prussian hierarchy is kind of the deep state writ large, and they they oh. really that's one of their action arms. And there was actually a move when we went bankrupt after the Revolutionary War to actually have the Prince of Prussia be our king. Oh, I don't know okay. if you know that, but there's a lot no. of weird stuff that happened. And he, so <laughs> Prussia Gate is like a six part series that he read. Well, anyway, so he reads these really cool things on his program all the time. Uh huh. And then he has a yearly meeting. They've had three of these now. This will be the third or fourth one. And it's called uh, Threadfest. And it's just people get together and they have, then they get to hear these people speak that wrote the articles. And, you know, he gets, it's going to be, I'm the only doctor going. So this is a really, oh. He said, I like you because you talk about other things other than medicine. So we're going to have fun. It's going to be. Wild. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I'm so I'm so honored to get a chance to interview you. And um, I thank God for the work that you're doing. I really do. Well, thank you. And, thank yeah, you. and I, I think it's it's um, it's so rare to have doctors that are willing to speak out in this day, you know, and so I'm. I, um, I can I, tell you how that came to be. That didn't okay. used to be the truth, but we can talk about how that came to be. It's part of the program takedown. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh, good. I, what I'd like to do is uh, I'd like to start out by reading your bio. And then I'd like to ask you a question and you can be thinking about it while I'm reading your bio. I'm generally on my shows. I've interviewed. Uh, I haven't interviewed anyone of your caliber before. And that's why oh, I'm nice. so honored. Well, that's, that's, I don't know if I'm, I, I, I might be the anti-hero here. I'm not sure I'm, a, I'm of any caliber, but I appreciate you having me. Well, on. We're going to, it's going to be sort of like um, Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart. You know, we're going <laughs> to. <laughs> so anyway, the. Um, Am I Martha or Snoop Dogg? That's all I want to know. <laughs> you're going to be Snoop. Okay. Good. <laughs> okay. Let me read your bio. <laughs> and, and then I sent you some of the questions that I have 
oh, the question that I and my mind sort of does that, you know, I have to come back to where, where my thoughts first started. Uh, the question that I want to ask you after the bio, after I read it, is to share if you have any family sayings that have been passed down through generations, for instance, any family sayings, a family saying that your maybe your grandfather told your <laughs> father and then he told you to give you an idea. Yeah, I used to, kind of. I used to, I, I, oh, you do. OK. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> let me read. Let me read your bio and then we're going to go ahead and, and um, get started. OK. Yeah. Folks, uh, this Brother Green, Rivers in a Desert Ministry, Rivers of Living Water in Dry Places. And we are honored to have the opportunity to uh, interview Dr. Lee Merritt. Uh, Dr. Lee Merritt began her medical career at the age of four, carrying her father's uh, black bag on house calls along the back roads of Iowa. In 1980, she graduated from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry in New York, where she was elected to life membership in the Alpha Omega Alpha. Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society. Dr. Merritt completed an orthopedic surgery residency in the United States Navy and served nine years as a Navy physician and surgeon before uh, returning to Rochester, where she was the only woman to be appointed to the Louis A. Goldstein Fellowship of Spinal Surgery. Dr. Merritt has been in the private practice of orthopedic and spinal surgery since 1995 has served on the board of Arizona Medical Association and is a past president of the Association of the American Physicians and Surgeons. She has had a, a long interest in the wellness and fitness and has been fellowship certified by the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. At age 63, she won a female <laughs> bodybuilding championship in physique class with a lot of help from her friends and patients from her family. As a lifetime, as a long life, as a lifelong advocate of free market patient-centered medicine, Dr. Merritt had the opportunity to appear on the John Stossel Show to speak against Obamacare. More recently, she's appeared on numerous radio programs discussing COVID-19, the futility of mask mandates, and other lies and omissions from the medical technocrats. A recent speech at a doctor for at Doctors for Disaster Preparedness on SARS-CoV-2 and the rise of medical technocracy has been widely viewed on YouTube and forwarded on by Dr. McCullough, one of her medical heroes. She is married and the proud mother of two sons, one of whom carries on the four generation medical tradition as a general surgeon, and then the other with a real job as an electrical engineer. <laughs> In her spare time, Dr. Merritt raises chickens, gardens, and enjoys a rural Midwest lifestyle. Thank you for coming, Dr. Merritt. Hey, thank you for having me. And I, I don't actually raise chickens. I have hypothetical chickens because I would never violate my city ordinance in my tiny oh. town of 1,400 people. <laughs> okay. So you get the meaning there. <laughs> yes, indeed. Nowadays, it's good to raise your own food. Yeah, I it absolutely to, is. Yeah, they're wanting to start inoculating the food here, you know, is what I've, what I've heard. That's horrible. Uh, yes, yeah. indeed. Now, Dr. Merritt, um, a question about a family saying. I like this to be part of my <laughs> broadcast. And in one of my, you know, my grandmother, I used to go fishing with her and she used to always tell me she's, you know, they call me Dickie, you know, the, you know, when I met my wife, I go by the name Cornell. They all know me as Cornell. I was incognito, but the, the, <laughs> the, she used to tell me as a little child, always fish on your side of the river. 
<laughs> and I adapted that to a lot of other different things that I do in life. And then my other grandmother told me, if it's not yours, don't touch it. You know, so it's those little sayings get passed down through the family. And I wanted to ask you if you had something like that, that your either your grandfather or your mother or your, your father or someone told you that it's always stuck with you. Well, I, I have to put this one in perspective. This is something that my dad used to say. And my uh, and my dad was a small town. He, he actually was a MD, DDS and PhD. He was a very brilliant guy. And he was a, <laughs> he was a chief of dentistry at, at Peter Bent Brigham at Harvard and stuff like that. Did dental research at Harvard and University of Rochester and things. But, you know, he was a small town country boy at heart. And uh-huh. uh, and he had a lot of fun, funny sayings like, you know, <laughs> the blind hog, even the blind hog gets the acorn once in a while. I mean, that's that's a Midwest <laughs> saying. But one of my one and and one of my favorites is that he used to say is never in you know when they talk about medical terms and we always use these terms that nobody can understand. He always said, never use a five cent word when a 25 cent word will do. <laughs> and, you know, and his point was that people obfuscate using this fancy language when they, they don't need to, but they, they have to use it. So that was kind of fun. I think that's, that's my good. Favorite. Never use yeah. a five cent word when a 25 cent word will do. I like that. <laughs> I was just, you know, I've been doing what you told me was do some research on you. It's it felt like I'm trying to study for a midterm. You, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that. Oh, well, I feel like I've been in a midterm now for about three years. I mean, can you believe we're going on three years with this thing? Um, oh. So, I mean, as an orthopedic surgeon, I didn't, I didn't, you know, after you get out of medical school and you go to residency, I did a year of internship in, in medicine. But after that, I've been a surgeon. And so a lot of the stuff that's been happening to us, I really hadn't kept up with the latest science. So I've been, I've been actually, I'm a professional. I would have been a professional student like my dad. I think if I could have been, but I actually had to work, um, you know, but I actually, it's fascinating and unbelievable, the stuff that we're learning. And I've been doing nothing but study for three years. And it's really shocking. I guess what I've really learned that the big overview here is it's really shocking that that we've been lied to on so many fronts. Yeah. And and people say, how can we be lied to like on the, about viruses? How could that possibly be? What are all those graduate students doing? Well, what's happened in the world today is we we're being taken down, not because there's not knowledge out there, but because we we compartmentalize it. So we think, you know, when you go to see, like when I have, let's say I have a patient and I'm, I'm retired now from actual clinical practice, but let's say we had a patient that, that had an eye problem. Okay. I didn't study ophthalmology. I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon. I do bones and spines, you know, so, but I send that patient to the ophthalmologist, assuming that he has been taught appropriately, scientifically sound things. And that's the same thing in research. People, we've, we've assumed that when we were told about viruses and things, that this was based on scientifically sound research. And it turns out it's a, it's a house of cards, that there's a, there's a base of sand. And it's been, and not only is it not right, but it's actually been purposefully obfuscated. I mean, things have been purposely hidden from us and, and made to be uh, taught when they, they weren't really true, but they, you know, for example, and I, and I think the narrative, I think the narrative of viruses is a huge one because yeah. without believing that there are these little animalcules that fly out of your mouth and cause other people to become sick, which is a great anti-human agenda, by the way. I mean, if you uh-huh. want to create some, by believing in that, 
by telling us that's the way the world works, we're not looking at all the toxins they're putting in the air and the food and the water and all the things that are toxifying us. And it's a justification for toxins being injected into us and our children through the role of vaccines. If you didn't have those viruses, that would all go away. We'd start looking at what they're actually doing to us. And you see, that's what the big deal is here. That's one of the big lies that I've really gone after. And it took me a year of solid study to really come to the conclusion they're lying to us about that. So- I just I just watched um, briefly right before I came online here, your the 15 minute presentation that you did um, in reference to I think his name was Carl Brandt. And oh, yeah, yeah. You, you discussed the, the dangers of government controlled um, medical practice. And um, I, 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 I never I just knew something was wrong. Right. <laughs> when Obamacare took over uh, the medical industry. But you said that this guy was not inherently bad. It was just that it was a gradual progression. And we don't see the progression as it's taken place, where right. eventually the state becomes more in pers- more important than people. That's ex- what, don't you think that's where we are? I mean, yeah. you, you know, we're willing. Carl Brandt was to, to put that in perspective. So Carl Brandt, I, you know, God, God has a sense of humor and he works in mysterious, really does work in mysterious ways, putting things in front of you at a time it's right for you to have it. So years and years ago, when I took my son to college, I was k- killing time while he was getting, you know, uh, getting his feet wet and I was staying for a couple of weeks in the area. And mm-hmm. I just went to a, a used bookstore and here's this book. And on the back of it, I see this guy in a white coat, looks like a doctor. So I get interested and I turn it over and the guy, it, and I'm reading his little bio and he, he's, he does orthopedic, he did orthopedic surgery. He did spine surgery and trauma. And I said, oh, that's just like what I was doing at the time. Trauma, spine surgery, orthopedic trauma. I turned the book over. It was Carl Brandt, who was Hitler's surgeon. And I, you know, the joke in medicine is why are, why are the, the, why are the evil bad guys always seem to be ortho spine surgeons? I don't know why. <laughs> it's like we always there, there's always somebody among our ranks doing something crazy uh, or illegal or, or, or something. But anyway, so but it turned out when I read the book, I realized it. you're right. It, it, mm-hmm. It's so easy. You know, and I'm a child of, you know, a baby boomer. So I remember growing up and in the 50s, my dad would have he didn't go to the war because he had a, a medical problem. But my my his friends who served in world war ii they'd be coming over and they'd have these nighttime you know conversations over a beer on the kitchen table you know mm-hmm. and and i listened into a lot of that and it was a lot of what you know my dad would always always reading stuff about the war and about the medical department and the, the nazis and stuff and about because the question was how could that have happened how could that have they have let this get this way you know the yeah. doctors how did they get colluded into that well Reading this book by Carl Brandt, I really got a flavor for it because, first of all, you know, you have to say it was a system that was put in place in the 1870s by the Kaiser in order to secure his power. Let's give people medical care because they'll be beholden to the crown and the Social Democrats won't be able to overthrow you. And it worked very well for about 40 years till the money ran out. And then you had a bureaucracy, but no real health care except one thing. One thing they kept doing was vaccinating uh, they call, they were called the government doctors, vaccine doctors, because they were able to take this technology out to the rural areas where it never was before. And that's kind of on a sidelight. But but the mm-hmm. point is, is that in the process of all this, in the 20s and 30s, eugenics was a big thing, right? Uh-huh. And we actually mm-hmm. were founders, I mean, uh, Aunt Margaret Sanger in America. Yeah. But the Germans took that information and ran with it. 
And they, they, there were philosophy, you know, Hegelian philosophy and all this stuff going on. And essentially what they, what they espoused was that the, when the, when the, and, and Carl Brandt went to his death on the gallows uh, at Nuremberg, believing this, that when the state, when the health of the state is at risk, the health of the individual doesn't matter. You can wow. sacrifice individuals for the group. That is the basic underlying philosophy that really took them south. Because once you believe that, there's almost nothing you can't justify against this group of people or that group of people on the basis of government and the, the health of the of the the motherland. Okay, and that's that's so. Carl Brandt, you know, you can't. I couldn't not. I couldn't help looking at him and saying. How is he different than me? I mean, all the things he came from a middle class home. He had physicians in the family, but nobody was wealthy. And he, you know, he he happened he just by accident. He kind of got in in Hitler's circle because his girlfriend had been Olympic swimmer and Hitler liked to entertain the Olympics athletes and stuff. And so they were going uh -huh. to uh, Berchtesgaden or someplace and they were in a motorcade. And it was just a long history of events that he saved one of Hitler's underlings and then came to his attention. Well, Carl Brandt was not an evil guy. He really, unlike, unlike many of my bosses in the military and elsewhere <laughs> that, that, uh, that really uh, didn't want to practice medicine when they, they would, they, they became senior um, military, you know, captains and admirals and everything because they didn't want to practice medicine. They weren't committed. But here is a guy who, even in the middle of the war, and he's the chief Reich Marshal now of the of the medical corps, he was out operating. He would he would roll, he'd go to the Eastern Front and he'd look at what was going on and he realized these guys needed, they didn't have enough surgeons. So he'd take off his his official jacket and he'd roll up his sleeves and start operating and helping these guys. That that never happened in our mind when I was in the military. No. But, you know, yeah. these guys, he was a good guy. So he was a, he was a basically decent human being that was in a very bad system that had a bad.